Yeah, I think we'll stick with Mr. Matt Yagi. Is that all right? Mr. Matt Yagi. Thanks, Brad. Just beautiful to hear what God's doing all around the world. So thanks for sharing with us this morning. Um, today, uh, we are starting a preaching journey um, called Presence. We're, we're zooming in on Advent and going. It, it, it kind of it dovetails really nicely or follows on really nicely from our last preaching series where we looked at, um, in fact, God just loves to be with people. He loves to tabernacle and presence himself. It's what he does and who he is. It's always been that way. And so if you missed that whole series called Your, a lovely, uh, rich theological South African word, Your. God loves to be with people. Go along and listen, because I think it'll be a lovely part one to this. But we want to talk about how do we get present? How do we actually wrap up this year and start next year in a way that is countercultural? That isn't just accepting the normal, very tired, distracted, and then suddenly finding yourself on January the 3rd back at work going, are we really going to do this all over again, right? That school calendar is going to start again. That work load is going to start again. The family stress is going to start again. And so we want to go, uh, you'll notice we've got just be present, just be present. We're doing a presence campaign um, during the week. Thank you for those of you who came along and walked and ran on Friday, for those who served at Tolatandu on Saturday, and a bunch of opportunities to just be present with God and people outside on the clipboards afterwards you can sign up for. But from now until Christmas, how do we be present as much as possible? And you may have noticed we've reached that time of year where all over our social media and newspapers and DSTV channels, it's the, the wrap-up of the year starting to happen, the year in review, right? So the best photos of the year, the biggest headlines of the news reporting throughout the year, the uh, favorite and most read articles, the biggest self-help books, and the uh, New York Times bestseller. And if you've got something called Spotify on your phone, it does something called Spotify Wrapped, which wraps up the year for you and tells you just how many hours you spent shoving things into your ear and then your brain. And it can get a little bit scary because how many of you don't really like that Sunday afternoon ding of screen time on your phone? You know the one I'm talking about? Like you go, it goes ding and you're like, oh, someone's getting hold of me. I'm so popular. And then you look at it and it's just Steve Jobs from the grave telling you that you spent three and a half hours today on your phone. And you're like, how did that happen? How much of it was work? 14 minutes. Okay, this is maybe not going so well. But Spotify Wrapped um, has been bouncing around, and it tells you your most listened to artists, where you sit in the world, like, are you kind of like really average at listening to Taylor Swift, or are you like the one lady who out of a half a million possible minutes in the year, listened to Taylor Swift for 290,000 minutes this year, it's December the 3rd. I mean, that's nothing if not impressive, right? Like, that's a lot of listening to Taylor. But I thought maybe what we'll do is let's do our own little um, olive tree-wrapped summary of the year. And you thought exams were over, and you thought the tests weren't going to happen. You thought a, a, a performance appraisals were done, but we're going to throw up a few more this morning, if that's all right. So we've got four Ps we're going to look at. If I was to ask you, hey, how was your progress this year? Like, all the, in all the areas that matter, did the income go up? or down, or stagnate? Did the business grow? How about your kids at school? How did the reports go? They might be coming in now, and if you're anything like most parents, your kid got, you know, four Bs, an A, and a D, and you're like, hey, let's talk about that D for a second. What's going on there? Drilling down into the progress, right? Because progress is really important, because your progress is a pathway that's going to get you somewhere, right? We're really good at measuring our progress. How did the physical health goal, goals go? How did they go this year? Did you do everything you wanted to do on January the 1st? As you can see, I'm perfectly in shape after this year. The shape is pear-shaped. Okay, progress went okay. You can fill out your own list. The next one, how are your programs this year? How is your Google Calendar? 
How many things did you sign up for? How many meetings were you in? My Google calendar tells me that I averaged 16.2 hours of meetings this year, all year, every year. I don't know how I feel about that. But how are your programs? Those social things you're invited to, the family stuff, the holidays, the school um, social things, the church things. You had a lot of programs that you signed up for. Maybe you tried to grow in Duolingo or something like that. You could probably fill in your list really easily of the programs. What about this? The presents list. We're in December, right? It's time for presents under the tree. Who put up their Christmas tree this weekend? All right, who's doing it this afternoon? Okay, that's cool. How many of you, be honest here, how many of you have finished your Christmas shopping? Put up your hand. That's disgusting. That is horribly A-type. How many of you men on the 24th of December at 10 a.m.? There we go. There we are. There we go. The real grab life by the throat spontaneous people. Pretty easy to build your present list. Pretty easy to build the list of programs you've been into and have to do your progress. What's really tricky and interesting is this. If I was to ask you how present were you this year, how much presence did you display? Did you pitch up for your life in front of God and in front of the people that matter, and be accessible. Were you undistracted and in a calm, unanxious presence? Were you there and listening and processing well? Because if I'm honest, I don't think the first three particularly matter. They're not rich and vibrant and full of abundant life if we don't understand how to actually be a present people. A people who are able to tune into the heart and, and voice and presence of God and the people who are able to be present with one another, truly, properly present and available. And I think there's a little cultural disease that's crept in where if the first thing in our minds in the morning is those first three Ps, what am I going to buy today? What's the stress? What's the anxiety? What do I have to do? How do I have to grow? What do I have to put myself to? If the first thought and the last thought of the day I like that. They fill us with anxiety. They fill us with comparison. They fill us with busyness, and we distract ourselves. But if that first and that last one, it's really clear. What is the thing in your head as you're drifting off to sleep? What's the thing that's in your head as you wake up in the morning? And maybe for some of us really blessed ones, what's the thing at 2 a.m. that is stopping you from going back to sleep? I think the solve is to learn to be a present people, present in the presence of Jesus and present with each other, because then the rest will fill up beautifully. Does that make sense? How do we pitch up to our life well? Because I think it is possible to gain the world, to grow in progress, to be full of programs, to get the best presents, to gain everything we would ever want, and fill our hours and days, and yet get through a whole year and feel quite distant in our souls, feel like we've lost our souls and our spirit a little bit. So how does the gift of presents help us to do well and thrive this December so that we start 2024 differently? I'm going to pray and then jump into a short little message this morning about our starting point. God, we know that you are here and that you love to be here and that you love to speak to us and coach our minds and hearts. And God, we just want to invite you to say what you need to say, but please won't you come and make us into a present people who actually enjoy what you are doing and are available to hear from you and contribute to what you want us to do in the world. Amen. So I want to start with something that I think is right at the center of the heart of God that maybe isn't always at the center of our hearts. Because in order to be present with God and then with people, something of the beautiful servant heart of God has to become our front and center reality. We thanked our serving teams this morning, but do you know that it's possible to know Jesus and go through our whole lives without actually getting the servant heart of God front and center? A part of God's motivation, the reason God sent Jesus to earth, we're in Advent season where we celebrate him arriving, 
Why did he come? What was his motivation? What was his modus operandi? Why did God send Jesus to earth? Well, we see Jesus get called a bunch of different names as we looked at in the last series. One of the names that he gets called is the Son of Man. Now, some people think that one of the reasons for that is he's called the Son of God to show us exactly what God is like. We don't have to wonder what God's like because we can look at Jesus, his compassion, his power, his mercy, his love and care, and go, that's what God's like. So the Son of God shows us what the God is like, but he's called the Son of Man because he also shows us what it's like to be humans, created in God's image, following God. The Son of God, Jesus, is also the Son of Man to show us our humanity and to drag humanity back to the Father. And there's three times in the Bible where the phrase, the Son of Man came, and then it carries on. I'm going to tell you what they are real quickly. So Jesus came. The Son of Man came, first of all, eating and drinking. Quite interesting. Hey, the Son of Man came, eating and drinking. What was Jesus doing? He was eating and drinking. Why is that important? Is he a party animal? Well, no. Think about what eating and drinking means. First of all, it's just the very most basic things that people must do. In order to stay alive, I must drink water and I must eat things that are nutritious and healthy. So Jesus came needing to do the basics of humanity to show us that he was utterly human. But the second thing about eating and drinking in those days is that it kind of spoke a little bit to where you fit in the culture. And so even the religious people of the day would kind of say, hey, who you eat with and who you drink with, even more than what you eat and drink, tells you how blessed you are. So like lepers eat alone and prostitutes don't get invited to eat and sinners and sick and the outcasts don't really get invited to eat at the table with the very blessed, very holy people. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking. First to show us he was human, but secondly, who did he eat and drink with? Who did he show hospitality with? Who did he break bread with and share a meze platter and sip from the same cups with? The leper and the prostitute, the sinner, the sick, and the outcast. So Jesus came to show us he was utterly human, but Jesus also came to show us who his heart was bent towards. So the Son of Man came, first of all, eating and drinking, and it tells us a whole lot about how to be present. Secondly, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, not for those who believed they had already earned their way and were righteous, but to seek and save those who felt far away from God and cast out the lost. And then lastly, and the nub for this morning is this. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, we read that in English, to give his life, and we immediately go to the cross, to Easter, to give up his life. But a much better way to read it is to live his entire life from first breath to final breath in order to be a ransom for many. There's something in the way Jesus lived that is as big and beautiful as the way Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. So let's join these dots together because it's not always super logical. We want to be a present people. We want to pitch up and hear what God has to say and encounter Him and feel Him. And we also want to be present with people in our relationships that really matter. We want to be like an asset and a blessing and like not have like strife and brokenness. We want to be present and not distracted, present and not broken, present and not distant. Our ability to do so is directly connected to how our servant hearts are doing. And how our servant hearts are doing is directly connected to how well and how comfortably we view Jesus as a servant. God himself chose to come eating and drinking, 
to come to seek and save the lost and to not be served, but to serve and live his life as a ransom for many. And in the room, I think there's probably two poles of how we feel about this idea of God being servant, of Jesus becoming the servant of mankind. Maybe we're all somewhere in between, but there's two kind of strong views on it. And as we read two scriptures this morning, I want you to see the two approaches to how people see Jesus as servant. So let's start in Mark chapter 10 and verse 35, and you can track along on the screen behind me. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, Rabbi, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do? Jesus said. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink of? Can you be baptized in the baptism that I am baptized with? Of course we can, they said. The sons of Zebedee, not lacking confidence. Like Zebedee was a real, boys, you need it, you go get it. You want it, you go take it, kind of dad. Of course we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink of the cup that I drink of, and you will be baptized with my baptism. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not actually for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. When the other ten of Jesus' friends and disciples heard about what James and John had done, they became indignant with the brothers. Jesus gathered them together, and he said, You all know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, rulers of the culture, rulers of the world around us, they lord it over them. They hold it over them. They are proud to be standing above them in authority. Their high officials exercise that authority over them. But it's not to be like that with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, which was really the vision of a lot of the disciples, who is the greatest? How do we become the greatest of Jesus' disciples? Whoever among you wants to become great must become the servant of all of you. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Hang on, if I want to be the greatest, I've got to be a servant of my friends and followers and a slave of all. You know what the Greek word there for all means? All. Every single person you come across. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, ransom for many. What a cool story, eh? I kind of love the overconfidence of uh, um, James and John to go to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, I've seen you heal, and I've seen you cast out demons, and I've seen you provide. What I'd really like is for you to do exactly what I ask you to do. None of us would ever dream of saying that, right? None of us would ever live like God exists to bless me and meet my needs and do exactly what I pray. I mean, we wouldn't at least say it like that, even if we do kind of live like that a little bit and believe it. But, you know, it's easy to go, oh, flip, these guys are clueless. But they haven't totally lost it because they would have read things like the book of Kings, which promises that there will be a place for those who follow God well at his right and left hand. They would have read Psalm 110, which says, the Lord says, come to me. Yahweh says, come to me, the Messiah says, come to me, and sit at my right hand, and I will make your enemies your footstool. They knew that someone was going to sit there, right? Maybe we should just ask if it could be us. They'd been with Jesus, they'd seen him, but they were missing his heart. They didn't yet understand, in Jesus' word, the cup of suffering that he was about to drink, and the baptism of the cross that he was going to go through, that all of us are going to go through too, to end up on the other side as a servant of all. Something in their hearts, something in our hearts, 
said that the best thing that can happen, the sound of blessing, the sound of favor, is that I will get put in the place of honor with my prayers answered and whatever I would ask God to do. Surely you're blessed if any time you ask God, you get it. You don't have because you haven't asked. There's a whole lot of theology that we can fight for in there. But you can see how they're missing it a little bit. You can see how they don't understand it. They understand the power of God. They don't yet understand the personal servant heart of Jesus yet. And why this is difficult for us is because we live in a culture where to be at the top of your game, to be at the top of your industry, looks like being served everywhere you go. I'm served at restaurants. I'm going to get served at home. My kids must learn to serve me. I've got someone at work who serves me because what I need to do is focus my time on the really important stuff so that I do what only I can do, right? It's such a subtle thing that's crept not just into business but into church. How do I make sure that I can get everyone else serving in the menial stuff so I can spend 40 hours a week just bringing this powerful word to you, right? How do I get you to serve me? Is a part of the thematic and a part of the culture that we live in. And so for Jesus to go, it's not like that with any of you. Everywhere you go, you're going to serve each other and you're going to be a slave to all. So if you would like to drink of my cup and be baptized with me, come and that's what it'll look like. You're not jockeying for the best seat. You're sitting at the seat where you're able to serve everybody else. I want to be in the seat of blessing, if I'm honest. I'd like to do minimum effort for maximum benefit from God. All my prayers answered, all the finances in the world, all the health in the world and longevity, I would really like that. It sounds like a lovely place to be. And yet the invitation is, come and let me show you what my heart is like so that you can have my heart. So problem number one is a bunch of us are kind of jockeying for position, going, God, I would love you to do what I ask. And we haven't quite understood it yet. The other side, and maybe it's a slightly bigger group this morning, comes from John chapter 13. Jesus is in his last meal and his last evening with his friends. And it starts saying that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go back to his father. Having loved his own, having loved his friends, having loved his disciples who were in the world, he loved them all the way to the end. Isn't that beautiful about Jesus? Having loved them in the world, he loved them all the way to the end. The evening meal was in progress because remember the son of man came eating and drinking and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put everything under his power. He had full authority and full power. There was no one more powerful and in authority than him. And he knew that he had come from God and was returning to him. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer smart clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he went and fetched water and poured it into a basin and began to move around the table, washing his disciples' feet, and then drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not yet realize, you haven't got it yet, you don't yet understand what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Peter must have had feet like mine. A little bit gross. Like if you asked me to get my feet out here, first of all, Christy would never talk to me again. But second of all, you might never talk to me again. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So then he flips the other way. Well, then, Lord, Simon Peter says, not just my feet, but bathe me. Bring me into the sauna and scrub me down from head to toe for hours. Jesus answered, if you've had a bath, you need only to wash your feet. 
your whole body is clean, and you are clean, although not every one of you, for he knew he was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. But when he'd finished washing their feet. Now, think about this for a moment, because we can read it in about a minute. But imagine making your way around as Jesus himself, taking your clothes off, your outer smart clothes, draping that towel around yourself, fetching some warm water, bringing it to a basin, and then slowly going to 12 of your friends around the table at supper time. Like, this is taking a while, right? This might be half an hour to 45 minutes. It might be awkward. And God himself, Jesus himself, who had all authority and power sitting under him, gets on his knees, and he scrubs deeply into their calluses, and he picks dirt from underneath their toenails, and he wipes oil and ointment into their cuts, because they walked a lot, and when you walked a lot, you got cuts. God himself, Jesus himself, goes around the table slowly to his friends. What, how would you feel? How awkward would you feel? How comfortable are you with this if it's you? I think I'm pretty much going, you don't need to do that, Jesus. I get it. Move on to the next guy. Let's get back to the meal and the John 14 prayer and the John 15 and 16 prophecies that are coming. And the God himself, the most powerful being in the world, the perfect, beautiful, innocent Christ, goes around and washes his friend's feet. And when he'd finished, maybe half an hour later, he put his clothes back on and returned back to the table, hopefully after having washed his hands, because they're sharing meze. Do you understand what I've done for you? He said, you call me teacher, you call me your rabbi who you want to follow, and you call me Lord, Yahweh, Adonai, the king of earth and the king of heaven, and you should, because that's what I am. But now that I, your Yahweh and your rabbi, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I've done for you, and very truly I say to you, no servant here among you is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Such a contrast, hey, between Peter and James and John. Peter wasn't suffering too differently from the brothers Zebedee. Both wanted to tell Jesus what to do. Isn't that interesting? Both wanted to tell Jesus what to do. Both needed to, to listen to the statement, you don't quite get what I'm doing yet, but you will. The brothers from pride and one, I guess, from, self, from false humility. But you can kind of feel from, right? Because he's heard Jesus say, don't jockey for position earlier on. Like, don't fight for that seat at the table. So now he's like kind of trying to play it down. I don't want to feel awkward. I don't want actually to eyeball the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as he cleans my feet because I don't know how I would feel. It would probably break me in that moment out of some sort of a beautiful healing humility. See, in times in my life, I've been the go to God and tell him what to do. But I think my bigger danger right now is this. I don't want to be made a fuss of. I don't want to be profiled. I don't deserve anything. Okay, God, you know, wash their feet. Okay, if you are going to wash me, then wash the whole of me because every part of me is unclean. If someone felt prompted this morning to come around the church and wash our feet, I would probably feel embarrassed and try and make a joke about it and wish that it was over quickly because I don't think I fully understand yet what Jesus is doing for me. And Peter and James and John are just likely to miss the servant heart of God. Both sides put our human ideal of God ahead of God's idea of God, that the most powerful will always serve, that the one in most authority will always love and give first. Jesus is so present that he's able to serve first, not from a place of lowliness, but from a place of power. Jesus is gentle first. He connects first. 
He listens to God and hears him and does what he says first because he's the most powerful and an authority person that's ever lived. I want to be a person who's gentle first and connects first and listens to the voice of God and does what he says. I want to slow down and get away with busyness and progress and programs. And I don't want to try and present shop if I'm not being present with those who I'm giving the gift to. And it starts by me being very present this morning as Jesus comes and washes our feet and scrubs our wounds and cleans our sin and anoints our minds and softens our hearts and inspires our vision and serves us over and over again because the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm going to pray for us and just trust that God would reveal that beyond words to us this morning. It's very hard to be present with others and serve them well unless we have first been served by the presence and power of Jesus. And if I'm honest, it's a sickness I see everywhere in marriages and family and churches and businesses. We are are so harsh with each other and so critical of each other and so unforgiving because we subtly believe that others exist to serve me and should do things a certain way rather than believing that I have the power and authority to be a servant of all. It's quite hard to be present in those small moments for my wife or my husband or my kids or my friends or my colleagues if I'm not actually sitting in the presence of Jesus receiving that. So God, this morning, where we have compared, where we've strived for seats, where we've jockeyed for position, I thank you so much, Jesus, that this morning you are on your knees with a towel wrapped around you scrubbing our feet, cleaning our calluses, picking out that dirt from our souls, from our minds and hearts. Jesus, you get your hands dirty with our dirt. You bear our sin and our shame and our weakness, and you take it to the cross, and then you invite us to do as you've done. Pray this morning that something of the Spirit of God would help you to actually feel his thumbs on your heels and feel his fingers under your nails. And I just pray that your hearts would get soft. Where there's strife at home, that the servant heart of God would come and invade you and help you to love and be kind and gentle. Where the heart of God has, where the um, sickness of man has broken down in friendships and community and in church and at work, God, would you come and would you restore? Would you come and would you heal? Would you come and would you soften us this morning? I pray. We want to be like you, Christ. And it starts with coming not to be served, but to serve and to give our lives as a ransom for many. Amen. I want to end with one little 30-second encouragement and then you're welcome to grab some tea and coffee and head out onto the deck uh, to wait test it. We haven't wait tested yet, so if all of you could grab tea and coffee and go jump a bit and just see if it's been well made. I'm joking. Um, we've got all these events that are happening throughout the year, but the one I'm, mo- I mean, throughout the month, but the one I'm most excited for is on Thursday. This building is just going to be like a chapel for the day, 7 a.m. till 6 p.m. At any time during the day, if you come in, there'll be worship music playing and scriptures rolling on the screen. Just come with a notepad or a phone. And come and sit down in the presence of God and actually hear him speak to you and minister to you. Because I think he's got a bunch of prophetic God words for 2024 and for you and your family and your purpose. And then at three points through the day, 7 to 8 a.m., 
12 till 1 p.m. and then 5 till 6. Our very trusted prayer and intercession team will be here if you'd like someone to pray with you or for you or prophesy over you. They're prepped and ready to go. But please, this Thursday, just come and make use of an hour or so of your time somewhere in the day. I think God will do some pretty magnificent things in us and through us. Is that all right? Okay, we'll see you next week for some more presents. But stick around for tea and coffee, um, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody.